Welcome to the Dwelling Podcast. We're so glad you tuned in. Our hopes is that this message inspires you and builds your faith today. All right, will you guys be seated? Thank you, worship team. So thankful for you guys. Feel a little Johnny Cassius this morning after that. We, um, so we've been in this series called Confessions. Who's enjoying this series? So good. Uh, what we believe and why it matters. We, we talked about who is, uh, who is God, who is Jesus, who is the Holy Spirit, uh, what is the church, and today uh, is a message about the resurrection, and I'm not preaching today. Uh, again, for surprise, surprise, right? Uh, I love this, though, because we've been able to hear different voices, different perspectives in this house, all gifted, gifted preachers, gifted communicators. Have you enjoyed them? Lauren and Dane and Adam, it's been, it's been fantastic. And this morning, our very own kids pastor, Brandon Davis, is going to be bringing this message. So come on and welcome up, Brandon. You got that? Okay. And uh, it's, going to be, it's going to be a powerful word today. And I can't wait to hear what God says through Pastor Brandon. Love you. Love you. Good morning, everybody. It's so great to be here with you all this morning. And before I get into anything, I just want to take a moment to say a huge thank you to Pastor Gunner for this incredible opportunity. Being able to preach to you all isn't something that I take lightly, and this really is an honor and a privilege. So thank you so much, Pastor Gunner. And if I haven't met you yet, my name is Brandon Davis. I have the honor of being married to my incredible wife, Mode. We've been married for five years now. And I can honestly say, without a doubt, I'm a better person because of who, who she is in my life. She's encouraging, she's intentional, she's loving. And we're excited to be welcoming our first child in May 2024. And it's a girl, which makes it all the better. And we cannot wait, but we are beyond excited. And I also have the honor of being the kids pastor here. And we have, there's no better way that Mo and I want to spend our time than investing in the next generation. It, it, they're not the next generation, they're the now generation. The Bible says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers. And there's kids back there in that room that are setting examples to you guys, to their schools, to so many different people. And what we do as a kids team would not be possible without an incredible kids team. Come on now, we have a team back there. They're not just watching kids, they're not just babysitting. No, ministry's taking place. They're receiving God's word. Right now, as we speak, they're worshiping together. And if you're on the kids team and you're in the house this morning, can you just stand to your feet? We're gonna put you on the spot. Come on, big, look at this room. Come on, somebody. We are just so incredibly grateful for each of you and all that you do. And Pastor Gunner said it a minute ago, we're in a series called Confessions, and we're talking about what we believe and why it matters. And today I get the incredible opportunity to teach about the resurrection. I mean, that's a pretty exciting topic to be able to talk about with you all today. It's a pivotal part of what we believe. But before we get into that today, before we dive into the message, I have a question for you. Is anybody in the house a great storyteller? Show your hands. You feel like you're a really good storyteller. You can't wait. You're excited about the holidays, not for the food, not for the gifts. You're excited to get around a group of people who you haven't seen in a long time and just share a really, really great story. 
I know some great storytellers, and my father-in-law, which you know, I'm Pastor Stefan, he is a great storyteller. And here's what I realized about him, is no matter if you're a teenager, an adult, or even a kid, people are like leaning in. They're all ears. They're listening. They're focused. And here's the, here's the piece of what makes a great storyteller. They know how to set up a great story. They know what parts to lean into and what parts to be like, okay, that's not, that doesn't matter. Or what parts to make it intense or what makes it a better story. They might embellish some parts of the story. Come on. We know you do it all the time. The fish was really this big, but you said it was that big. We've all done it before. They know what parts to keep. And I would propose that's what makes a great storyteller. But is there anybody that's like me who is not a really great storyteller? You would say half the room, 90% of us, hey, we're all in this together. It's okay. And we begin to, you know, not know what to add, or we begin to not know what parts to keep in the story. And we begin to just add in stuff that really doesn't matter. And if you don't know what side of the coin you're on this morning, I'm going to help you out. This, if you get anything from today, at least you'll know whether you're a good storyteller or a bad one. Okay, you ready for this? So you're in the room. You're at that Thanksgiving dinner. You've got family who you haven't seen for a while. And you're just like sitting there and you're like, man, I can't wait to share this story. And someone else in the room knows the story you're going to share. And they're like, yeah, bet. This is going to be amazing. I'm so excited for this. And then you begin telling the story and they look at you and they lean in. They say, hey, that part of the story really doesn't matter. If you've heard those words, I hate to break it to you. The story doesn't matter. You're not a great storyteller. And I, I have received it. And with a little bit of hindsight, it was the case. The part of the story that I was sharing really didn't matter. But when it comes to the biblical story, the piece of the resurrection really does matter. It's an incredibly pivotal part of our faith. It's foundational to what we believe. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 lays out beautifully why the resurrection matters by sharing some statements of what it would mean without it. And I would propose for us to fully understand why something truly matters is we have to realize what it would mean without it. You've had this moment before in your life where maybe it was a coworker who was at your job that was incredibly encouraging. And for some reason or another, they left the job, they got a new one, and their voice isn't there anymore. Their encouragement isn't there anymore. You realize how much they truly mattered in the moment that it was absent. Or maybe it's, maybe it's even a little bit deeper than that. Maybe it wasn't a coworker. Maybe it was a family member who was there for you, that was pouring into you, that was intentional. You might have had a person like that, and the weight of why they mattered hits you in the moment it was absent. And in this letter, Paul gives us reasons for that. And to give you some context to the story, so you kind of know what's going on. Paul likes to write letters. He wrote them to churches to encourage them, to correct them. Because how many know the church sometimes needs a little bit of correction? We need some guidance. And that's what Paul's doing in this letter. And what has happened is a few of them have begun to believe in something that wasn't fully true. They decided to not believe in the resurrection of our bodies in the end times. They've given up on that belief for one reason or another. They don't believe at the end of times we will rise again. And this is a pivotal part of our faith. And for some reason, they wanted to, some say, some believe the reason they started to feel this way 
is because to their current culture, that part of the belief was seen as offensive. That the resurrection of our physical body was something that wasn't, it wasn't well welcomed. It was, it was offensive. They wanted to put some distance between themselves and that belief. They wanted to make it something abstract. And for whatever reason, they wanted to give up on it. And this is where we find Paul in this letter. It's 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 5. And it says this. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the good news I preached to you. You received it and have put your faith in it. Because you believe the good news, you are saved. But you must hold firmly to the message I preached to you. If you don't, you have believed it for nothing. What I received, I passed on to you, and it is the most important of all. Here is what it is. Christ died for our sins, just as scripture said he would. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as scripture said he would be. He appeared to Peter, then he appeared to the 12 apostles. So from the very beginning of this message, Paul is reminding them that, hey, Christ died for us, and that's the message that you held on to when I preached it to you. But for one reason, you want to hold it loosely. You want to push that belief away. And we could look at them, if we're honest, and be like, the resurrection of our bodies, I, who, I mean, I think we all want to rise again one day. We don't want the end of our life to be the end of our life. We want more, right? Am I the only one? I think we all want that. But Paul's saying, hey, hold firmly to that message, because if you don't, you believed it for nothing. And we could look poorly on them, but I'm going to be real honest, church. There's going to be a moment where there's going to be a moment in your life where the foundation of what you built your life on, the what you believe, your biblical values are going to create some, some, some opposition at your workplace. It's going to create some frustration to our current culture. And instead of holding on to the message firmly, we want to hold it loosely. And instead of wanting to hold close to it and stay close to God's word, let's put some distance between that truth because everyone around me, this seems to be offensive. And maybe for you, maybe it's not even this part of the message. Maybe it's another part. Maybe it's not offending someone in your circle. Maybe it's fending yourself. Maybe it's something like, oh, I don't really want to forgive the person that hurt me. But I know Jesus said to forgive 77 times, but I'm going to put distance between myself and that. Or, you know, whenever God tells me, to love my enemies. You know what? I don't want to love my enemies. I'm going to hold that part loosely today. Or maybe when it says, don't get drunk with wine, I'm going to, I don't want to, I don't want to believe that for myself. I'm going to put distance between myself because I like the alcohol, but God says, no, he says, no, you got to hold firmly to the message. And if you found yourself in any of these parts where you said, I've been holding it loosely, I'm going to challenge you today. Just like Paul challenged the church. Hold firmly to that message because it's foundational. It is a firm foundation. I would propose that we would never regret, not once, regret holding firmly to God's word. I can't count on my hands where I've ever regretted it. Maybe you have, but I, I think you're probably just fooling yourself. You won't regret holding on to his word. It is life itself. We got to hold firmly to it. And it says this in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell. And great was the fall of it. Church, hold firmly to the message. No matter what, no matter the tensions it builds in your life, no matter the relationships that might shift slightly, hold firmly to the message. It is a firm foundation. And if we wouldn't build a house on a rocky soil, on a sandy soil, I don't think we should build our life on anything less than a good foundation. Amen? Let's continue in the letter. In verses 6 through 11, say this. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters. At the same time, most of them are still living, but some have died. He appeared to James, then he appeared to all the apostles. Last of all, he also appeared to me. I was like someone who wasn't born at the right time. I'm the least important of all the apostles. I'm not even fit to be called an apostle. I tried to destroy God's church, but because of God's grace, I am what I am. And his grace was not wasted on me. No, I've worked harder than all the other apostles, but I didn't do the work. God's grace was with me. So this is what we preach, whether I or the other apostles who preach to you. And this is what you believed. So Paul is setting the stage. He's reminding them of what Christ did on the cross. He's pointing them back to the message. He's saying that message I shared before, don't hold it loosely, hold on to it firmly. He's reminding me, he said, hey, this isn't just something we are flippantly believing because, you know, we believed in that Jesus guy. I think he said he would rise again, so we're just going to say he did. No, he's saying, no, 500 of us saw him. And he appeared to all the apostles and even appeared to Paul himself. It's not just something we are randomly believing for no good reason. There is eyewitnesses across the board. There is a realization that, no, this is reality. This isn't hopeful thinking. This isn't wishful thinking. This is truth. And that's what he's reminding of them of. And Paul gives us our first statement in this next part of the scripture. He gives us a few statements of why the resurrection matters. And if we don't have that resurrection, this is what it's going to look like. It says this in verses 12 and 13. We have preached that Christ has been raised from the dead. So how can some of you say that no one rises from the dead? If no one rises from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. The first statement is this. If no one rises from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Hey, what he's saying is if you don't believe in the resurrection in the later days, you can't even say Christ himself has been risen. It's a slippery slope when we begin to hold the message loosely, right? It can go downhill real fast. And Paul will continue to paint that picture for us. But he's saying, hey, these two beliefs, they go hand in hand. One can't exist without the other. So if you don't want to believe in your body rising, you can't even say Jesus himself has risen. They're they're tied so tightly together. It's a slippery slope whenever we begin to hold something loosely. And And he continues in verse 15. He says this. More than that, we would be lying about God. We are witnesses that God raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if the dead are not raised. So we would be lying about God too. Can you see the drastic difference from saying one thing and how it leads to not only did Jesus not rise, but what you've said about him was a lie. This is a slippery downhill 
slope. This is not just something we are. This is lying. You're lying about our creator. The one who gave, breathed life into you. If you leave out this part of the message, we're nothing more than false teachers. We're nothing more than just lying. I, mean, I don't think any of us would ever wake up in the morning, walk into our jobs, and be like, I'm just going to lie about somebody today. I just feel like I'm going to make something up that's really going to just ruin their reputation or really just make them seem like they did something they didn't do. Or if, you're, if you work from home, I'm sure we have a few of those. That Zoom call, you're going to make something up about your boss. We would never dare to do anything like that. I would hope. If not, come to me after service. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to get a few people around. We're going to pray for you. That's not something we would do. So why would we ever want to lie about the Creator? Why would we want to do it? But Paul's saying, if you believe this part of the message, if you're leaving it out, that's exactly what you're doing. You're lying about the creator. It starts with our bodies don't rise, and then it comes into a lie about God himself. It's a slippery slope. In verses 17 and 19, it continues, and it says this. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith doesn't mean anything. Your sins have not been forgiven. Those who have died believing in Christ are also lost. Do we have hope in Christ only for this life? Then people should pity us more than anyone else. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith doesn't mean anything. Wow. That's a powerful statement. I don't think you or me would be like, oh, I don't want my faith to mean anything. No, I think we've all given our lives to it, that we've surrendered our lives to the Savior that has risen in our faith. We want our faith to actually mean something, something to have of value. But Paul's saying, if we don't have the resurrection, the faith that you have doesn't mean anything. It was for nothing. And I grew up in a Christian home. And so I was 12 years old when I said yes to Jesus. And I got saved and baptized all in the same day. They had one of those spontaneous baptisms. I don't know if you heard of those. And here's what they did. They did me dirty. I'll be real honest. The church did me dirty. But what happened was there was one Sunday that they were doing this spontaneous baptism. And I'm there and I'm sitting in my seat and I just, my heart's pumping. You know the feeling. God's speaking to me like, oh, I'm going to have to go up and get baptized. And I was 12 and I was like, I don't want to get in front of all these people. I was homeschooled, so I was shy and awkward. Like, there ain't no way I'm getting up there. And so I'm like, I'm not doing it, God. I didn't do it. And that whole week, I was like, Mom, do I got to get baptized to go into heaven? Like, do I really need to do this? And she looked at me, and she was like, yeah, but, you know, the man on the cross, he didn't have a chance to get baptized. She was trying to make me feel better. She's like, he didn't have a chance to go get baptized, but he entered paradise. So maybe not. I hate to break it to you. You really should get baptized. So if you've been holding out, here's your announcement, get baptized. It is an incredible, crucial part of our belief. But I didn't want to do it. So I got through that Sunday. During the week, I'm questioning myself the entire time, hopeful, prayerful that it won't come up again. Because, you know, they just did it this past Sunday. Why would they do it again? This, so I thought I was in the clear. You know what they did? They did it again. They had another spontaneous, when I say spontaneous, a very planned 
baptism. And I was sitting there and I said, God, I can't do this. I don't, I'm weeping and I'm, I don't know how to feel. I'm just crying. And I'm like, I can't do this. I don't even know if I'm saved yet. I know I've prayed the prayer, but did I believe? I don't even know. So I prayed the prayer of salvation and I got up and I told my mom, hey, can you walk me up there? I need to go do this. I can't sit here anymore. And I got saved and it was a powerful moment, an incredibly powerful moment. But because I had a family that believed, I had people that had faith before me. And some of you have people that had faith before you. And you would look up to them and say, wow, their faith has inspired me. Their faith was meaningful. And for me, that was my grandpa. He was an incredible, incredible man of God. He was a preacher. He was a pastor. He was a missionary. He was a prayer warrior. He was so much all of those things that even when he was sleeping, he was preaching. And I promise you, his message was probably way better than this one. Even though he was asleep, it was so good. You would want to sit in his room and just take notes because there was power in his words because he had a faith that means something, that meant something. And whenever I was a teenager, he got diagnosed with Alzheimer's and he began to get real sick and his body began to deteriorate. And I can remember this moment when I was at his house. And I was sitting there, we were in the garage and he comes out on his walker like he would, just his body shaking. He would sit down on his walker, it had a seat on it. And instead of questioning his faith, instead of being mad at God, instead of being like, you know what? I've given my whole entire life since I was a kid. I was one of the only ones that said yes to Jesus. I gave my life to this thing, but now I'm sick and I can't do anything about it. Instead of saying I'm giving up on this faith thing, he started to preach Ephesians 3.20 to me. And let me read that to you. And it says this, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. So someone that could have been, hey, I don't believe God for anything else. He was believing God for immeasurably more. He had a faith that meant something. And even before that moment, before I was even born, for seven years, he dealt with a neurological disease. And what that disease did is it shut down the whole right side of his body. And it got to a moment where he really couldn't even work anymore. He couldn't do anything anymore. And he couldn't get it diagnosed for seven years. For seven years, he would go to a doctor and he would ask, hey, what is this? Hoping to have some hope, hoping to get some answers. And they would say, no, I don't know what this is. This is in your head. There's nothing we see here. And then he would go to another one. Then another year would pass and no answers. Then another year would pass. And then there was a moment for him where he just surrendered it fully to God. He gave it to God. He said, you know what? Whether I get the diagnosis or not, whether I get healed or not, I'm trusting you with this. I have peace with this. I know there's a purpose for this pain. My grandpa had a faith that mattered. He had a faith that meant something. And I would propose for you and for me, we have a faith that matters, yeah. that you had someone before you that had a faith that really meant something. Yeah. But Paul is saying clearly, hey, if we don't believe in this, if we don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, your faith is nothing more but meaningless. Yeah. My grandpa's faith was meaningless. And that's a very dark and a very sad reality. And he continues by saying, if, if you don't believe in the resurrection, not only does your faith meaningless, yeah. your sins are not forgiven. It's a slippery slope, as you can see. Yeah. Our sins are not forgiven. The thing that we thought was paid for, it was finished, is no longer finished if we don't have the resurrection. Our sins are not forgiven. 
We still have a payment. We still owe on this thing. And in 2021, my wife and I, we moved to Massachusetts, way colder than it is here. Um, And we really loved it. We were part of a great church there. We loved the area. It was beautiful. We were getting adjusted to the new area. And there was a moment where Maud had a very scary health scare. She found a mass on her breast, and we weren't sure what was going on. We were new to the area, no family nearby, and it was a terrifying moment. And so I had an event at the church that I couldn't miss, and so she went to the doctor's appointment, and we had to call around to even get a doctor. You need a thing called a referral if you're new to the area. How do they expect you to get in to a doctor if you need a referral if you don't know nobody? But she got into a doctor, and so she calls me as soon as it's done, and our hope is this, that it's like, oh, hey, I know what this is. It's nothing. Don't worry about it. Go about your life. They said, no, we need to take a closer look. We have to look at this a little bit more. And so she had to get an ultrasound. We're like, all right, this is it, God. Ultrasound's gonna come back. It's gonna look great. We're in the clear. We're okay. They say, no, we actually need to get this biopsied. And that was some of the most devastating moves we could have ever heard because we just assumed it was nothing. And so it was another thing to create worry and fear and doubt. And so we're like, okay, we get it biopsied, and only though it only took three days to get these results. I promise you, those three days felt like an eternity. Yeah. We were like, three days went by fast, but it really it was the slowest time we were worried. And it, what happened was, is it was nothing. It was benign. Praise God, she is healthy. She is okay. There's nothing to worry about. And we were so grateful for it. But along the way, as you can imagine, we didn't have great insurance <laughs> that we racked up a pretty steep bill. And because we had such a steep bill, we had to do a payment plan. And that bill was so steep that we didn't even pay it until September of this year. We finally paid it off. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) But it's like someone saying to me, hey, Brandon, you know that thing that you thought was paid for? You know that debt that you assumed was taken care of? You know the thing, that pain you want to put behind you and not have to worry about ever again? It's actually still there. And it's something in a far greater measure, it's our sin. The thing that we regret doing years ago is still there. The thing that we thought God cast so far as the east is from the west is actually still present. You're still dead in your sins. You still have that gap between you and the Father because that's what sin does. It separates us between us and God. So the sin you thought was forgiven, the sin that you thought was paid for is actually, it's still present in your life. It's still there. The resurrection matters because without it, we're still dead in our sins. We're still in need of a savior. We're still in need of a king to save us because that's not something we could pay for on our own. We can't do it. Our good works don't measure up. Our good thinking, our, our health plans, our, our little, you know, going to grow myself plans will never do what only Jesus himself could do. And if you don't believe in the resurrection church, he's saying to the Corinthian church, if you don't believe in this, you're still dead in your sins. If you don't believe in this, the dead do not rise. The end of your life is just that. It is the end of your life. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you're actually a false witness about what God did. We're lying about God. Our faith is meaningless. We're in a very dark reality. And that's the picture Paul is painting for us. And that's the same for us. If we begin to hold parts of the message loosely, we're going to see ourselves down a slippery slope. We're going to see things start to shift in our life, and it won't be for the better. 
But you know what he does, like Paul always likes to do? He encourages them. He paints this picture of what it would look like without the resurrection of Jesus. And it's a very real picture. But he doesn't leave them there. He gives them hope. He reminds them of the truth. And we all know this truth. So if you know this, you should be getting excited about it. He says this in verse 20. But Christ really has been raised from the dead. He is the first of all those who will rise from the dead. The death came because of what a man did. Rising from the dead also comes because of what a man did. Because of Adam, all people die. So because of Christ, all will be made alive. And that's the good news. And that is the truth of what God has for us. The resurrection matters because it turns our faith to something that was meaningless. It turns it to something meaningful. The thing that the end of our life is no longer the end of our life. We have a hope and a future. It's not the end when we die. No, we have hope of resurrection. The resurrection matters because what we've built our life on, the thing that we've given our lives to, isn't a false teaching about the Savior. It is a very true reality. The resurrection matters because without it, the faith that I have, the faith that you guys have, the faith that my grandpa continuously gave his life to matters. It's meaningful. So what do we do with this? What are we going to do now that we know our faith matters? Where does that leave us? Because we could be like, all right, resurrection happened. We're going to walk out of here today being so excited about that. Our faith means something. But I think God has more for us. I don't think we should just leave on the knowledge, this head knowledge. I think it should be something that transforms us and puts us into action. And I want to point us back to the beginning of Paul's letter. And it's where he says this. Last of all, he also appeared to me. I was like someone who wasn't born at the right time. I'm the least important of the apostles. I'm not even fit to be called an apostle. I tried to destroy God's church. Because of, what God, because of God's grace, I am what I am. And his grace was not wasted on me. Maybe for you and for me, we're not destroying God's church, but we're still in need of God's grace. That I know we could look at Paul and be like, what a crazy man, but the sin that I've had in my life still separates me as much as the sin that Paul had in his life. There's no greater sin. Sin separates. And what he's saying is his grace was not wasted on my life. His grace was actually meant something. His grace pushed me into action. He says, I worked harder than anyone else. Church, I'm calling us today. Let's start working a little bit harder. Let's not just do this thing passively. Let's be all in. What did Paul do? He shared the good news of Jesus everywhere he went. So I want to encourage you. Don't let the grace of God be wasted on you. Decide today to say, hey, you know what? My life is going to reflect what Jesus did. I'm not going to hold. I'm no longer holding the message loosely. I'm no longer putting distance between myself and God's word. I'm going to hold it closely. I'm going to be a person that's standing on a firm foundation, because if you do that, church, you're going to be living a life that isn't just halfway full. The Bible says in John 10, 10, that I've come to give you a life and life to a full. You're going to be living a fully alive life because of what the resurrection has done in your life. Can we can we do that today, church? Can we decide that, hey, you know what? I'm not going to 
do this passively. I'm going to go all in for Jesus. I'm not going to be like, oh, I don't feel like believing that part of the word. No, we're going to believe all of it, because if we don't, as Paul said, it's a slippery slope. The resurrection matters, church, because without it, we're hopeless. The resurrection matters because without it, we're nothing more than false teachers. The resurrection matters because without it, we're still dead in our sins. We don't rise. The end of our lives is just that. But we have the hope of the world. And the only way it gets passed along and shared is if we hold firmly to it. I don't want to give someone the half truth. I don't want to give them part of the truth. I want to give them all the truth. And the only way I can do that is if I'm holding firmly to the message. And if I hold it halfway, I'm giving them the halfway truth. And I think God wants more for us than that. He wants us to hold firmly to it. And if you're in this place, and if I could have the person that plays keys come up, that would be wonderful. And if you're in this place and you would say, hey, I actually don't even know what faith really is. This is my first time even hearing about this truth, about this resurrection, about this savior. And you want to say, Hey, I just want to give my life to Jesus today. It's really simple. God in his incredible grace by sending Jesus and made salvation very simple for us. And Romans 10, 9 says this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple. It's saying, Jesus, I know what you did on the cross. I know you died for my sins. I know that you rose again and you've forgiven me. So if you want to pray that prayer, here's what we're going to do. We're going to bow our heads and we're going to pray it together for the benefit of those praying it for the first time. And we're going to pray it out loud because we have to confess with our mouth. So let's pray together. Just follow after me. Repeat after me. Just say this. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner in need of you. I pray that you come in my life today. Come into my heart today. Forgive me for my sins. I believe that you died on the cross and rose again three days later. Today I make you the Lord of my life. It's in your name that I pray this, Jesus. Amen. So if you prayed that prayer for the first time, you you are a part of the resurrection. You will rise again. Death is not the end. You have hope and eternity. But if you're another person in this room, you say, you know what, Brandon? I have prayed that prayer. I've been following Jesus my whole life, or I've been following Jesus for a few years now, but I've put some distance between myself and that. I've been sleeping a little bit. I've been holding the message loosely. Well, I want to pray for you. I want us to leave this place today holding firmly to God's message. I don't want us to hold it loosely. So I want to pray for you. Can I? Let's pray. Jesus, I pray for each person in this room, God. For the ones that have decided in the moments where the opposition was too strong and I want to put distance between myself and the truth of your word, God, I pray, Lord, that they hold firmly to the complete message of your word, God. I pray that no matter where they go, no matter the winds that blow against them, that they will be founded on a firm foundation. God, I pray that they don't hold this hope, they don't hold this grace for themselves, but they give it to those around them, God, that they will see their life forever changed by you, Lord, that they will be a mouthpiece for you, God. I pray that you go before them every day of their life. God, I thank you that the resurrection matters. I thank you that the end of our life isn't the end of our life, God. I thank you that that we're not false teachers or false preachers. We are speaking the full truth whenever we talk about your resurrection, God. 
God, I thank you that my faith means something. I thank you that my grandpa's faith was truly meaningful. I thank you that everybody in this place, God, that has a faith, God, I thank you that their faith matters and it's meaningful. I thank you for what you're doing in our lives, God. Thank you for this time together. It's in your name that we pray this, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we will see you next week. Come back. Pastor Gunner's back preaching in the house next week. Come on, somebody. Don't want to miss it. Love y'all. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information about The Dwelling, visit thedwellingchurch.org.